You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Of Koch de Hatera. He was a Mako of Zalman Achemia. Uh, Sheila can tell the others we heard today a Psak that Ravzalman Achemia was willing to be Mako on a certain abortion case that others would not have been Mako. Uh, you might remember about a woman who there, the, there was a shash that she um, would kill herself uh, if she would give birth to a severely deformed child. And um, Rav Zalman was Mako to allow uh, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the chance that she might kill herself that the fetus, since the doctors were not sure the fetus would even come to full term, but to abort it now even before. So Zalman Achemia was Mako in that case. So he had an incredible koach de hatera. Um, and that is part of what Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef said is what we are missing, that ability to be Mako properly. Here's some questions that Zalman Achemia dealt with. Um, these are some easy, quick ones. Let's say that you, you're looking and you see someone who's a great man, who, but you didn't catch his face. Um, you only saw him from behind. Um, would you still make that brocha? You didn't get to see his face, but you, but you were in his presence. So Zaman Chemi says, it's Yerushalmi. Uh, Yerushalmi says that uh, Rebbe said, why was it that he became greater than his Chaverim because he saw Rav Meir. Um, he says it was at a wedding suda. Um, Rav Meir uh, uh, was, as you know, he was a persona non grata uh, among Rebbe's family because he had tried to embarrass Rebbe's father, of Shimon ben Gamliel, who he felt should not be the, the Nasi. So when Rebbe got married, Rav Meir felt he still had to come to the wedding and sort of like show up, but he, he didn't feel like he had the right to show his face. So at the wedding, Rav Meir was there. He knocked on the door, but then when Rebbe came, Rav Meir ran away. And the Yishalmi says that Rav Meir ran and, and, and Rebbe ran after him, but Rav Meir kept on running. He didn't look back. So he only saw Rav Meir's back. And he said, but only seeing Rav Meir's back was enough to change me. So you see, Rav Zalman says, that seeing someone's back is considered seeing a chacham. And therefore, even though you didn't see their face, you'd still make the brocham. This might come up. I know that uh, it might come up for me uh, if if I join you for for the tefillot. Let's say you're an Ashkenazi and... um, You're hearing at, at a minion where they say, should you be mopsik in your Kaddish, you know, and you're listening to the Kaddish and say, Ome. So, uh, Ramzal Menachemia says, why not? Um, why is it wrong to, to, it's true, it's not part of your Nusach. Last night or two nights ago, we spoke about Rav Gorin and, 
trying to come up with a universal nusach, but it, it, it's part of the tefillah of Kaddish that the Mashiach should come. Uh, the whole idea of Kaddish is that you want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be ra- rising up in the world. Um, so Vayatzmach is, is, is davening. Um, and obviously, that's, isn't that a kid of Shem Shemayim, that, that, that Mashiach should be here? That's Vitim Lachatolavatcha. So, even though you don't say Yatzmach Berkone, but if you're at a show where they're saying it, you're saying Amen to that. That's not a hepsik. Now, that is what Rav Zalman Achemias felt should be the halacha. However, he had heard that the Priskerov was asked the Shaila. The son of Rav Chaim Salvechik, the Briskarov was asked to Shaila. And um, the, um, the Briskarov was at Minyonim where they said, and he would not say Amen. So when they asked the Briskarov why he did not say Amen when he was there, he said, the Rambam, um, as you know, um, writes at the end of Hilchas. Tefillah, the Rambam gives the Nusach of davening. The Rambam has what he feels is the Siddur that people should daven with. And there it says the Nusach of, it says the words Yasmach Berkone, but the Rambam doesn't say, say Amen. The Rambam doesn't indicate that you should say Amen there. So, that's why the Briskarov didn't do it. However, as you can see, Rizal Menachemia felt um, Here was an interesting question. There was a um, a Yosem, um that uh, he didn't have a, a father anymore. He got married. Um, now he's there at his house. He's making Kiddush. So, um, if, I'm sorry. And he goes back to his mother's house. So here he is, his mother is making the meals for them. And now here is the new couple. Now the question is, who gets the cup of wine first? Who gets to drink the cup of wine first? His mother or his wife? So um, he said that it seems to him that his mother should get it. Why? Because even though it's true, um, when a woman gets married, her shibud is to her husband more than to her parents, and therefore her shibud is more to her husband than her father. But that's not the same as when a man, a man, it doesn't work both ways. And therefore, if the mother, if the man's mother feels that, and remember, you know, they're sitting there at her house and, you know, they still feel the spirit of the father. So what this book of this young man should do is give the cup to his mother first before his wife. Another question that was asked of <laughs> Zalman Nehemiah was, um, if there's a rov, 
uh, a Talmud Chacham who people ask Shilas to. Now you all know that um, according to the Rambam, Kedem grape juice would not even be, a, you probably cannot make a bar priyagofen on Kedem grape juice. Uh, you know that, right? <laughs> as much as I make it, and, and the reason I do is because I have a medical reason not to drink alcohol. Surprise. Okay. But for those of you who can take alcohol, you should be choshesh for the shitas harambam and not use grape juice for kiddush and, and make, bar, and, and, and for the dawud kosos. And, and because it's not kosher for dawud kosos or kiddush. I know it says on the Kedem bottle that it's kosher for Dawid Kaisis and everything. That's because you can be machriya Kenega the Rambam, especially if you're from the Ashkenazim. But I don't know if the Sephardim paskin that way. I'm not sure what says in, in, in this regard. But definitely, according to many shitas, you can't use grape juice for Kiddush. Okay. But, okay, but there are some that say yes. So let's say you would want to be machmir. Because you want to do things you want to do things even to be Yotze, like the Beis Yosef or like the Rambam. But you're afraid that people are going to come and ask you shilas, right? People are going to come and ask you questions. They're going to ask you. They're going to come and ask you questions in halacha, and if you are somebody that is drinking a lot of wine, or even enough to make kiddush, your head might not be clear, and you won't be able to paskin properly. So what should you do? They asked this to Ramzal um, Menachemia. So let's see what his answer was. He said, um, they say that Rav, Rav, the famous Rav Shmuel Salant, who was the Rav of Yerushalayim, that he would not have a long Seder on the night of Pesach. He would finish quickly the Seder and do the mitzvahs and go to sleep because he knew that there needed to be someone who, and then he'd get woken up and then he'd be able to pass Shilas. So that's why he would do it quickly, drink wine, go to sleep, and then when he woke up, his brain would already be clear and he'd be there to pass Shilas. That's what Rav Shmuel Salant felt was more important than having a long Seder. He says there should be someone in Yerushalayim who could be able to pask in the Shaila on Pesach night. So, Rav, Rav, Rav Zalman Achemia says, um, if, you, if you hold that you can make Kiddush on grape juice, and you are a person people ask Shailas to, that's what you should do. Um, now, um, obviously, or Shmuel Salanter, either he held like the Rambam, or, you know, they didn't have grape juice that you could like squeeze grapes and stuff like that uh, uh, where, where he was. Um, and he says it would probably be impossible to get grape juice during that period. Now, um, He says, today things are different than the time of Shmuel Salant. Today, there is, you can get grape juice all year round. Why? 
Oh, me pastoring. In other words, um, they're, they're able to put something into uh, the grape juice that it doesn't uh, become alcoholic um, or they pasteurize it. And he says, therefore, even though Rav Moshe Feinstein says you shouldn't use grape juice for the David Kosos, because the Gemara talks about this Amora who would for, for a month would have a terrible headache, why didn't he drink grape juice? Um, because they didn't have the ability to actually have um, an ex- wine extract that wouldn't turn into an alcoholic aspect. They didn't have it in the time of the Gemara. Now that we do, it sounds like Razam Nehemia says that might be a good answer. Um Let's say you are um, another Shiloh. Let's say you are um, walking on Shabbos on the road and there are cars traveling on Shabbos. Um, should you, when you walk on Shabbos, there being Machal Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael, should you walk in a way uh, that they shouldn't have to stop? Okay? Because if you walk in the middle of the street, they're going to have to break because of you and then start the engine again. Or you know what they might do? They might do another thing. They might honk at you. So maybe you have a responsibility to be worried about the chilosh, the way these other people are driving, that you shouldn't be responsible for more chilosh Shabbos because of that. That's what they asked from Zalman Achemia. So Rizal Menachemia answered the following. He said, I remember that I went to visit my Rebbe, um, the Mashkiach in Ponovich. And again, Rav Dessler was accepted into play. He was in Ponovich Yeshiva, one of the first Bachar. Remember, he was born in 1931. So he was just a, a teenager uh, when Ponovich had started. And his Rebbe, was Rebilio Dessler. And Rebilio Dessler at that time was, I guess he had, didn't have his house yet, and he was staying in a place called Nachos Shiva. I'm not sure, that's somewhere, I guess, near B'nai Brak. So he remembers that they went to visit Rebilio Dessler on Shabbos afternoon in Nachos Shiva, and they went to Davin Minicha together. Um, and he remembers that he was very careful. Lo lamo de madricha. And I guess that's, I'm not sure what the madricha is, but I assume, Moshe, you want to help us with this? this or if you're still here, the madricha. I don't know if Moshe is still here. But, um, that usually means a guide, right? Madrich, madricha, it means a guide. Oh, it's well, it's oh, Yonatan is here too. No, n- not a, not a madrich, a madricha. Um, lo la moba madricha. Um, I, I think that's like, anyway, he was very careful. He, not a sidewalk. That's what it is? Not to stand in the sidewalk? No. 
There was a sidewalk in the middle of the street. Midracha, Midracha, Midracha. Midracha. Well, Midracha is a sidewalk. So anyway, he remembered that his Rebbe, thank you, Yonatan, his Rebbe was makbid not to stand in the Midracha because maybe, I guess there was, I would assume there's like a piece of, uh, of, of an extended aspect of the road that went into the street and not to walk there because you'd be worried that the people driving might think, I got it. In other words, don't stand as if you're about to cross because then the people driving are going to stop to let you cross. That's what it means. In other words, if, the point is they have to keep on walking. But if they would stand on the side of the road, like where the road ends, and then there's a, and then there's a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a street to, to cross over, not to cross, not to stand there. Because if they would stand there, that would be like sending a message, I want to cross the street, and that might cause the, the driver to stop. So Rav Dessler was mocked not to stand, because that was like sending a message to the drivers to stop. Um, so he says, You have to really know what does it mean when you drive a car and you, you um, step on the, uh, the pedal. And benzene, I think he means gas, right? So now the gas starts to uh, you put more gas into the pistons. Is that a chilul Shabbos? Is that as as you as when you press the gas pedal? Is it a chilul Shabbos the whole time that you're pressing the gas pedal? But but when, or is it only when you the, when you begin the driving? But um, so you really need to know more about. The, phys- the physical aspect, and this again is Rav Zalman Achem is saying, we need to really know exactly what's going on when someone stops and then restarts again. And, and, and what is, is it a true act of Chil Shabbos or not? Robert Kivalevich? Yes. I would think that's uh, when somebody turns on the ignition, that would be the the biggest, um, you know, breaking of the, because that uh, right. sends the right. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about kindling the fire. Right, but here, uh-huh. the car is still on. The question is about you, you put the brakes on and now you press the, you put the brakes on and now you press the gas again. So is that, what is happening then? Is that an act of Chil Shabbos or not? You know, I, I'm also thinking that also depends in today's technology where all the commands through wires, right? Maybe there's a more, depends when, you know, which the, the cars of, uh, of yesterday, right? Or yesteryear were less um, electronic and they were more pneumatic and other. Um, Possibly the Shiloh might be different today. Um, okay. I, I want to tell you, yeah, I try yeah. to be, I try to be careful about this. Uh, it doesn't happen so much in Elizabeth, but I, I was in Chicago and in Miami and other places where there are a lot of irreligious Jews that are driving around. Um, here's an interesting question. 
Um, two more questions we'll deal with. I hope you're getting a sense of who Rav Zalman Achemi is uh, from some of these from some of these uh, questions. Um, the uh, question was. Um, you want to be Makayim the mitzvah properly. Okay. What do you want to do? Uh, you want to light Neiros Hanukkah at the, at the right time. And there it's a of course, everybody lights outside. Um, however, uh, should you wait for your wife, even though it's going to be a later time? Now here, of course, in the United States, in Chutzlarts, this question is very different because of the psak of the Shulchan Aruch, of the Ramah that we light inside. We light for the people in the family. We fight for the people in the household. But um, in Eretz Yisrael, where they light outside, the question is a little more serious. So um, he says, since people in Eretz Yisrael, Rizam Nechem, he says, are lighting outside, like the Gemara says, it's a half hour after Shkia. So since that's the way we light here, you don't wait. Because we hold in Eretz Yisrael, the mitzvah is not for the family. The mitzvah is for the people in Rishos HaRabim. If you are living in Chutzlaretz and you're lighting inside, so of course the psak is different. There, of course, you ask differently. There you are going to light uh, inside, and you have all night to light. Here's an interesting question, I thought. You're the rove of a shul, and whatever happened, you weren't around the night before, you were mavulvo, there, there, there was an emergency, you forgot to count the omer, and the whole day has passed. And now you show up in shul that night, and they're waiting for you to count because you're the Rav and you're supposed to count the Omer. Can you count with a bracha in order not to be embarrassed? And I'm going to say that this question came up many times, Lamaisa. <laughs> I'm going to assume that this wasn't just a theoretical question. And the Rabbanim wanted to know, can they, uh, do they have a right to, to uh, make the bracha even though normally they wouldn't, but otherwise it would be an embarrassment that their rabbi forgot to count the Omer. It shouldn't really be an embarrassment, but that's the way people look at it. So Rav Zalman Nechemia said that uh, something happened by the Beis HaLevi, um, that the Beis HaLevi, the Rav Chaim Brisker's father, Rav, the first Yashaber Salavechik, forgot to count the Omer one night, and he happened to be a chiv for a yard site, whatever it was, to daven. So um, he asked one of the mispalalim to make the brocha. Uh, um, he says, She yivarech lefnei asfira, v'yichavin lotzeis bebrocha sh'omer b'tur shatz. So um, so therefore, again, Bikesh Mechada Mispalim Shiyavarech Lifne Asfiro, Bihavain Lotseis Bibrocha Shaomar Bitur Shatz. Um now it sounds from there that you shouldn't make the brocha despite the embarrassment. Now he says the heart's 
Rav Tzipesek Frank, dealt with this, um, that you're putter from the mitzvah. In other words, even if you want to say busha, but everybody else is more chayiv than you because they didn't forget. So how could you be motzi then? Even if you want to say, I'm just being motzi then. I'm just there, uh, you know, they need me to make a bracha for them. Which you can make a bracha for someone, that's arvus. But since you can't be makayim the mitzvah anymore, in other words, not just that you're potter from doing it. See, if I'm potter from doing it, so then I do it for you, that's arvus. You couldn't make the bracha, I did it for you. But here it might be worse. Here, according to the shittas that, that you can't count with the bracha, you can't fulfill the mitzvah sphere Omer anymore. So Arvis is not going to help you. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, Arvis could be if, if um, I blew shofar already, I can make the bracha. Let's say if you don't know how to make the bracha, I can make the bracha for you and blow the shofar for you again. I did it already. I, I, I'm not chayev, but I can do it again for you and your yotze. That's Arvis. But that we're connected. Kol Yisrael Raven. But over here, since the rub forgot the night before and the whole day passed, he's no longer chayiv in this mitzvah. He can't be mekayim spheres homer anymore. Not that he did it already. He can't be mekayim for this year. So because of that, he might not be able to say, I'm just a shliach tzibah for everybody else. Now, that would be the lumdus. The lumdus would be, first of all, there's busha. And secondly, I'm making it for the people who don't know how to make a bracha. Because there might be people out there who also forgot and I'm going to be doing it for them. But you can't do it for them because you weren't yotz, because you're not, you're, you don't have the mitzvah anymore. And therefore, you see, and we know Rav Zalman Achamia, what type of anav he was, and you could tell that he didn't, <laughs> he felt, you know, this isn't a svara. And I guess he was trying to tell the rabbi who asked him, you know, you're just going to have to take it <laughs> and just take what you think is the embarrassment. Um, they asked him a Shiloh about um, what would be the case if um, if you're speaking to your Rav, your rabbi, your Rav calls you and you're talking to him. Are you mechuyif to stand while you're speaking on the telephone? Good Shiloh, right? You're calling up Ramesha Feinstein. Or, you know, he's your Rebbe, whoever your Rebbe is, someone you're chayiv to be machabed. Or how, you know, maybe even in Zoom, I don't know, right? And so should you stand up? It's Kovat Arav. You should stand up when you speak to your Rebbe. So Lachora, Rav Zaman said, we know that even if your Rebbe is blind, you have to stand up, even if he can't see you. So on the telephone, let's say Zoom, he can't see you. But let's say on the telephone, he can't see you. So are you, are you chayef to stand up or not? So he says, it could be a telephone is different because you're not really there. Now, it could be Zoom is different. It could be, in other words, if I had a Rebbe and I was going to Zoom, I would say, Rebbe, I'm standing up for you because, you know, it's almost like we're here together and I need to ask you a question. But on a telephone, it doesn't seem like you'd have that type of chayef. Of course, like I said, things might be different uh, in a way. Um, there was a Moira Hayra that was checking matzahs 
um, and he was checking matzahs to make sure that they weren't, um, they didn't have any nefichos in it. Remember, part of what you do is when you check the matzahs, you check them to make sure that, that there isn't these parts that look like chametz in it. So many times they would, they would bring, you would bring your matzah to the rov, and the rov would check it out and look at it and see if there's any, does it, does it look like it's solid? Does it look like it's straight? Does it look like the type of the yimakayim, the mitzvah, achilas matzah? And what happened was he broke them. Or let's say uh, you, you, you go to the rov to check your esrig, and the rov's holding it, and he drops it, and the esrig becomes puzzle. So does the rov have to pay the person or not? So Rav Zalman said, we know that if a person is a shochet, and you cause the behema to become treif. So if you were being paid to be the shochet, that you did it for pay, um, then you're chayev to pay back the worth of the animal. You were paid to be a shochet, you did it wrong. But let's say you were shechting for free and you're known to be an expert. So the halacha is that you're potter. Because we say it's the bad mazel of the person who hired you or who asked you to do it. Because it's almost like an ones that this would happen. And therefore, since he's not paying you, it's not like you took responsibility that it's going to be perfect. So unfortunately, you don't owe the person for the breakage. You were trying to help him. Um, so, however, Rav Zalman says, that a Shomer Chidim we know is Chayev and Pshia. Um, a person who's Mazik something is also, of course, Chayev, even though he didn't mean it. It would seem um, that checking an Esrig, you're like a Shomer Chinam, you're not, you're not doing it for money, but you're like a Shomer, and, and this seems to be a Pshia, dropping an esrig, and, and even though you're trying to help the person. Now, um, that would be, however, um, especially if, when were you checking the esrig? Were you checking the esrig before the guy bought it or afterwards? If you hadn't bought the estrog yet and the rub is sitting there in the estrog shop checking it out, then, the, of course, who would be the one who would lose? Then the person who would be losing would be the seller of the estrog. Um, but it's, Rav Zalman Achemis seemed to think that if, and, and you know, there are many um, estrog dealers that hire someone or, or ask a Rav to be there in order that the Kainim should be able to say, oh, this is kosher, this is kosher. You remember, I don't know what's going to be working in, in, the, in the era of COVID, but normally the way you remember, there's like a mumch who sits there and the mumch checks things out. So clearly if he drops it or ruins it, the, it's going, the cost is going to be back on the guy, the person who's selling them. It sounds to me, like Zaman feels that that would be on to the uh, that would be the that would be the 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 onus would be on that would be on that person would be on the person who is who would be checking it.
Zalman um, was very, very mockbit on people's money. In fact, um, uh, his children say that, you know, even when he went to a shul and had to wash it, you know, there, there, you know, there was a question of, of, of the shul had a towel, but the towel was missing. And somebody brought one of his children or, or grandchildren brought over, uh, some paper towels. He said, who says I can use these? I understand if there's a towel in the shul, anybody who's in the shul, and I guess having shalashidas, but where'd you get these from? You know, and, and he wouldn't use the paper towels to wipe his hands unless he was sure that um, that they came. His son said, no, these are mine. I, I'm giving them to you. I, I didn't take it from any box. I didn't take it from the shoals thing. He was very, very nizhar on chas v'sholem to be, to be even uh, at any time to take away uh, the moment from anyone, even if it was something which most people would consider insignificant. So you can see here that he was noted to be machmir, that the Rav would have to pay for being makalko the Esrit. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.